0: Today, church, as we go in and continue with this sermon series entitled Living Well in a Broken World, we're going to move from Ruth to 1 Samuel. We have been in Ruth for a couple of months and and gone through um, her and Naomi and Boaz's story. And now we're going to move to 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, turn to 1 Samuel. It's right after Ruth. And um, you can just put your finger there for a second. Uh, we'll get to the, uh, the passage in just a moment. I was reading a story not long ago, and um, it is uh, a story of W.C. Handy. So in 1903, W.C. Handy was waiting for a train in to- Tootwilder, Mississippi. And the train was late. And so he decided that he was just going to lay down on one of the wooden benches there at the station, and he was going to take uh, a nap until the train got into the station. Uh, As he was sleeping, he heard a noise, woke him up. And it was a a straggly-looking man, an older gentleman, and he had an old guitar, and he was strumming the strings on that guitar, and he was singing a song. And the song that rang out um, was Going to Where the Southern Cross, the dog. Handy was taken back by the lyrics, and he stopped the man, and he said, What in the world does that mean? And the man said, Well, it is where the tracks of Yahoo and Mississippi Railroad, which is what the local people call the Yellow Dog. It's where they cross the Southern Railroad in Moorhead, Mississippi. Handy said he thought for a minute and thought, that's just the weirdest song I've ever heard. But he put music to it and the blues were born. W.C. Handy has been called the father of the blues, and although he says I didn't invent them, I just presented them to the world, the blues have become a, a musical style. In fact, it became a foundational piece in the 20th century for music, including rock and roll, country, jazz, and even hip hop, all have their foundational pieces in the blues. In 1909, Handy moved to uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Took his band there, and he settled in on Bill Street. Some of you have been there. I've been there many times. There is a park there, WC Handy Park. That is well known. And it is in Memphis that Handy wrote his two most famous pieces. Memphis Blues and St. Louis Blues. The the blues as a musical style. Helped to tell a story of life. It it would tell a story of the hardships and the trials that people were going through. Blues help express Honest feelings of experiences of struggles and difficulties. In fact, the blues stories of trials and hardships and despair and abuse and heartache. We also see carry over in much of the today's country music. Even in some of the contemporary music of today. And while... Many lose themselves in music, and music is a, is a place that many of us sometimes can go and just get away from things and, and cope with life. While music is a great way sometimes to get away, it is not the answers. It does not give the answer to the trials of life. We live into this broken world with heartache, trials, temptations, all that Satan would throw at us. And over and over again throughout Scripture, God tells us how to deal with the trials of this life. And so our text today, we're going to look at a person that did not have blues music in the 11th century B.C., but tried to escape she was surrounded by people but she was alone over the next four weeks we're going to look at hannah's story we're going to look at how she dealt with life and as life would press in on her and today the first installment of these four sermons that will finish this sermon series living in a broken world, we're going to look at the first eight verses of 1 Samuel this morning. So if you're there, um, you can read with or, you know, as I'm reading, read along um, silently, but it's also going to be on the screen uh, as you can read along there. Now, there was a certain man from Ramathan Zophim from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elikon. And his son, the son of Jerem, and the son of Elu, and the son of Tohu, and the son of Zuf, and Edomite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up. From the from his city yearly to worship, and to sacrifice to the Lord of Hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and uh, Phineas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day when the day came from elica to sacrifice, he would give portions to Peninnah his wife and all of her sons and her daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year as often as they as she Went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and she would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not not better to you than ten sons? This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you remember at the beginning of Ruth, as we began to look at that particular text, it said that this was the time of the judges. And we know by Scripture that the people at that time, the Scripture tells us, did what was right in their own eyes, not what was right in the eyes of God. And so, in other words, you could say the people of that time during the judges lived exactly very familiar with what we do today. Today, we find many, even ourselves at times, in a state of selfishness, all about me, pleasure. We seek happiness in so many different places. And so they were living in a broken world at the same time as we look at our world in which we live that is certainly broken. And, and so we move from, from Ruth into 1 Samuel. And yes, the, the judges are still in place, but they are, their reign is going to come to an end uh, and, and not long uh, from that because Israel... Um, the Israelites began to seek and say, You know, God, all of these other nations have kings, and I think it would be great, we think it would be great if we had a king. And so in 1045 B.C., Saul became the first king of Israel. As we... Look at 1 Samuel, and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel have three prominent figures in them. Samuel being one, of course. The second is Saul, and the third is David. And you would say, so you're going to preach on those three men, and I'm actually not. (laughs) We're going to take a look at Hannah and her story and her life and her relationship with God in the world that she is living in, that is surrounding her. And so, 1 Samuel opens this chapter by saying there's a certain man from Ramathah Zophim. And it's the only place that this particular city is mentioned in Scripture. Nowhere else. And there's many have said that, oh, it's another name from Ramah, which is a little bit above Jerusalem, but... That's not the case. Most scholars believe that this is a city where Elkanah lived, his family lived, but it is not synonymous with Ramah. And so the text tells us that Elkanah had two wives. The first, Hannah. His second wife was Peninnah. And we know, we've studied, we've talked about before, uh, we've read scripture, knowing that at this time in culture, it was not uncommon to have multiple wives. Uh, There certainly were some reasons that they believed that was um, good and possible and proper, and most of it had to do around children. And so these two wives of Elkanah, Hannah had no children. And the scripture this morning tells us twi- twice that the Lord had closed her womb. But Peninnah had several children, sons and daughters. And at this time, with multiple wives, men would look at, at children, and um, it was considered a status piece. It was considered that you had wealth, it was a, a sign of continuation of your line of family carried out beyond yourself. And so maybe Elkanah looked at Hannah, whom we know that he loved. The scripture tells us that he loved her. But but maybe knowing that she was not able to give him children, he took on the second wife. And the second wife, of course, blessed him with a number of children herself. So we know he had two wives. We know one was barren and one was not. What else do we know about Elkanah? We know that every year he took a pilgrimage to Shiloh. Shiloh at this time was a religious center for the Israelites. In fact, we know there was no temple yet. But the tent of meeting was there. The tabernacle was there. And in fact, in the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. And so three times a year, the Israelites were required to go for these feast days. And some have said, well, this is just a feast day that Elkanah and his family are taking their uh, pilgrimage to Shiloh. But most scholars don't think that's the case. He probably did go as a, a, a good and righteous Jew. He probably did make those three treks with his family. Most scholars believe that Elkanah had a special pilgrimage, that, that he took his family sometime during the year, every year, to Shiloh to worship as a family and to offer sacrifice. And so they would arrive, he would make sacrifice, He would give to Penanah and her sons and daughters, as the scripture tells us. But then 1 Samuel says he loved Hannah, and he would give Hannah a double portion of the sacrifice. And now we arrive at verse 6 and 7. In verse six and seven, we hear this: Her rival, however, would provoke her to bitter, uh, her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. She, being Hannah, would weep and would not eat. Penn and I was not a a very nice person. Um, She gloated. She would throw in Hannah's face, you're barren, you're not giving our husband any children. She vocally, publicly would bully her, provoke her to heartache. She would do it year after year. And on this trip that 1 Samuel is giving us, on this particular trip, it happens again. So it's not a once in a a time. It's not just that she had done it once and had left that. But Pen and I had provoked and bullied and attacked Hannah verbally over her barrenness over and over, year after year, and this trip to Shiloh was no different. Hannah's heart was broken. Hannah was facing this treatment from within her own family. But we also know that the likelihood is is that Hannah would have faced this with the other women in her city Because the barrenness, being barren, was looked at as, well, if you can't give your husband children, then something's wrong with you because you have sinned against the Lord. The Lord has closed your womb, and so they would be ostracized. They would sometimes be outcasts. They would be uh, set apart and ridiculed. And so the fact that Hannah was not only facing this trial within her family, she was most likely also facing it from the world around her. Her world was broken, and she was, she was hurting. She was not eating. She was weeping. Her heart was filled with heartache. What do we do when we find ourselves in the place that Hannah finds herself? This morning, I want to look at three ways that I think that we can look at this. And and I will tell you at the end how um, this applies as we go along, but again, kind of wrapping it up at the end, how this applies to Hannah uh, very succinctly. I think the first way that we can face and deal with trials that are around us is that we seek out God in our brokenness. We we seek out God in our brokenness. Hannah was suffering, and year after year, the text says that she was suffering, and, and, and next week, we'll go a little bit deeper into Hannah's story, but We know that Hannah will seek God, that she will go and have a talk with God, and and that's where we will go next week. So she did seek out God. But I find often that people just don't seek out God in the midst of the trial or tribulation that they're going through when temptation is around them. I've had so many say to me when they're facing trials or abuse or whatever, I had to come to the end of myself and surrender to God. And it is at that point as I sought God and surrendered that I began to heal. I began to even find some peace in the midst of the chaos around me. So many times we try to fix it ourself. We We try to say, if I can just do this, if I can just fix this, and you fill in the blank, if I can just fix him or fix her, or if my doctor would just tell me, here's the drug that will just fix it, whatever sickness or disease or whatever we are facing. But I will tell you that you're not going to be able to fix you in that way spiritually. You're going to have to seek God. Because I will tell you that the true peace that you are seeking in the truest form is only going to come from God. When my mom died in the February of 1973, I was broken. I've told many of you this story before. Some of you have heard it, some have not, and I'm not going to tell the story. I just want to mention this: that I was mad, I was angry with God. Uh, I, you know, it was. I was heartbroken, but I was I was angry. And that that day uh, afterwards, I ran into the woods as i have said before and I was I was going to have it out with God Uh, me and God were going to come to blows I mean it was just a place where uh, with all the pain and the heartache anger I had I didn't know what else to do and so I lashed out at God and God was great enough and loving enough and compassionate enough to hear me Yell and curse at him for the loss of my mom. And he took it. I fell that day at the foot of a tree and the snow that was on the ground. And I came to the end of myself and had to give all of that heartache and anger to God. And in my surrender that day, I believed propelled me over the next couple of months to the point where that I gave my life to him. I surrendered my life to him finally a few months later. When trials hit, if we can run to God, if we can seek God, God has told us over and over again that he will be there that his spirit will comfort us, that he will lift us up. When we lean into him, when heartache comes, when abuse comes, when trials of life come, when we listen to him, to what is right and righteous and good, not what the world around us is telling us, especially the prince of this world. Then we began to find a peace, as I said, in the passing of the peace that passes all understanding. There are some scriptures that I think God has given us that helps us hear what he will do. Psalm 95, verse 6 and and 7 reads this way. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Listen to what verse 7 says. For he is our God and we are his people and of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, he is our shepherd. He is the one who guides us. He is the one who is there for us. Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the 6th chapter, the 33rd verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And then Matthew says, and all these things will be added unto you. And then Psalm 34, which is such a great verse in the midst of trials. If there's one of these three verses that you would write down or jot down in your Bible or in your, on your bulletin, write down Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He comes alongside of us as we seek him out. When trials of life come upon us, and it seems to be that there is no avail, there is no outlet, there is nothing that is going to take care of that, run to God. Seek him out first. Listen to the Holy Spirit that he has given you. He will never lead you or me astray. Cry out to him in your need. Scripture tells us that over and over. And I will tell you, and you know this, but just for a reminder, when we cry out to the Lord and we experience a peace, when we experience that understanding from God of where we're at and begin to move forward, It doesn't mean that the world around us will not continue to press in on us. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be still sickness or heartache or temptation. That's coming, and I'm looking forward to the time when there is none of that. But until that day, we seek God. We seek. First and foremost, we seek God, but secondly, I think there's something important to see from this text as we will see as we move along, and, and, and that is seek out a friend that you trust. In other words, talk to someone. Let someone come along beside of you and walk with you in the trials of life. Whatever it is that you are facing, do not do it alone. Seek out that sounding board. Unfortunately, Hannah's husband, nor his other wife, did that. They both forsake. For, they forsake her. You say, "Well, wait a minute, Elkanah." The scripture says he loved her. He did. He loved her. But he turned a blind eye to Peninnah and what she was doing to Hannah. He did nothing about it. What Hannah wanted to hear him say is not, am I better to you than ten sons? What she wanted to hear him say is, "Peninnah is wrong in how she's treating you, and I'm going to put a stop to it. And that's not what we hear. And so he was complacent in all that Hannah was facing. When the trials of life come, we need to seek out someone that will come along beside us because those trials are coming. Joy's. Uh, ministry called To, to Peace Ministry, uh, she has shared with us in, in many different settings about statistics, you know, where one and uh, of, of three women will face abu- abuse, whether physical or mental abuse. And of course, a lot of people don't think mental abuse is abuse, but it is. Um, I don't have numbers for men, but there are men that are abused. But these, these trials of life come and There needs to be someone to come alongside of those individuals that are facing those trials. It's one of the things that this particular ministry does. We are better than ignoring. We are better than just turning a blind eye. We are to seek God first... But seeking out someone that we trust, someone that will come alongside of us, regardless of the trial, is important. So I'll go back to the example of, of myself when my mom died. I sought out my pastor, and my pastor did come over to the house that day and we were standing out in the front yard. He knew the state of mind that I was in and what I was facing. And um, he is the one that actually looked at me and he said, Marty, just have it out with God. He, he's a big God. He can take anything you throw at him. Just just have it out with him. And, and when he left is when I actually ran into the woods. But the point I want to make is this: Pastor Gentry checked on me the next day, and he walked alongside of me in the days to follow. Um, Pastor Gentry, what was there in those months as I was moving from uh, a mom and a dad and a sister to, uh, and my sister was married and away from home at that time, um, not living in the home. Uh, so it it came down to me and my dad and. Uh, Pastor Gentry uh, walked with me to the point, as I said, April 24th of 1973. um, Just a little over two months after my mom died, uh, I surrendered my life to him. And you may say, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Didn't you just say you ran into the woods and you lashed out at God and weren't you a Christian? I actually was not. I, was, I grew up in the church from the time I was born. I was in the church every Sunday. My dad was there every Sunday. My mom was there when she could. But she worked many Sundays. And I went to Bible school. I went to Sunday school class. I was a part of the church. I was not a Christian. But I knew God as far as there is a God, and it is God that I lashed out at but it was not until I surrendered my life to him that I became a Christian. It was not until I said, I want to make you Lord over my life and confess my sins before him that I became a Christian. And it is there in that moment, I will tell you that the peace of Christ that passes all understanding entered my life in a special way. And he has never, ever in all the trials of life, abandoned me. We are created to be in relationship with one another. We are created to have relationship with one another. Yes, the scripture tells us we're the love of the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and body. Also, the second is important to love your neighbor as yourself. And loving your neighbor as yourself does not mean, as you've heard me say, agreeing with everyone's lifestyle or, or that something that might be contrary to Scripture or a sinful way of life. But what it does mean that you speak truth and love and you come alongside to offer Christ, to be there, to lift up, to be Christ in the world. When we are in the midst of a trial, we need to seek out a friend that we trust and not go it alone. And then finally, we need to acknowledge our trial. And you might say, well, wait a minute, shouldn't I do that first? And yes, this all works together, and yes, we need to acknowledge our trial. But I will tell you, if you don't acknowledge your trial to yourself, You're not going to seek out God and the friend. You're going to have to come to that place inside of yourself that I need God. I need help from someone that I trust that I can put around me. This is not going to go away by itself. I am not going to ignore it. Often what we try to do is fill our life with, with everything. If I can just, you know, fill my life with this thing or this person or this activity, then, then this will go away. And, and I don't have to acknowledge it before God or anyone else. I'm just going to tune it out. And I'm telling you that does not work. We have to acknowledge the trial, the heartache, whatever it is that we're facing because that begins the healing process. Much of what I said a few weeks ago with Naomi and with Ruth, and as Naomi began to acknowledge where she was at in her life, the healing began. But we need to acknowledge before God. We need to acknowledge to ourself before God. God all that is going on in our life so that we can lean into him, so that we can seek that trusted friend. I have had friends in the past. I've had members of churches that I have pastored these 32 years that have told me that, you know, um, someone told me, if I just had enough faith, my trials and All of this would go away. If I just had enough faith, the cancer would go away. If I just had enough faith, uh, the hateful spouse would stop. If I just had enough faith. I had a person tell me once that if I trusted God enough and had enough faith, that God would make me rich and provide everything that I needed because God wanted me to have all of the worldly pleasures that I could endure if I just had enough faith. And I looked at that person and said, Really? What about Romans 12, 2? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Or maybe we could use this verse in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before who? God. Foolishness before God. Or we could read John 16 verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that... In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. As we acknowledge our trial before the Lord, as we acknowledge it within our own self, we began to to move and be transformed by the Holy Spirit. We lean into not only God, but we lean lean into others that are trusted friends. We do not capitulate to the world and all of its evil. The prince of this world is on the move. And if we are going to be a part of, of walking in the peace that God would desire for us to have, even in the fallen world, we have to acknowledge our trials. And then we can, to the mountaintops, shout the verse that's at the end of Romans 8. In all these things, we are overwhelmingly conqueror through him who loved us. We can conquer because of him. You and I live in this broken world and they are coming. If you aren't facing some temptation or some trial or some heartache or something in your life right now, just wait a little bit because unless you're going to be taken out, And I'm ready to go, or I'm ready for him to come back. But until then, we are going to face the trials of this life. And we should seek God. We should seek a trusted friend. Uh, We should acknowledge our trials. Music is great. WC Handy. You can go on YouTube and look at all of his music if you want to. And I will tell you, for a moment, you can get away. but it's only for a moment because it is truly Jesus. It is Jesus that is still better than anything in this world that we would ever pursue. Thanks be to God. Next week, we will actually see Hannah do all three of these things. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to gather and open your word. And Father, we just thank you that Scripture continues to remind us of who you are and what you have done for us. Through Jesus, for salvation, that we too will rise one day and conquer death and be with you. But Father, you have also given us your Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to be with us, to convict us of sin, to comfort us in our times of sorrow. Father, to lift us up in the trials, to give us wisdom when we need it. Father, thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit that is in us. And Father, we pray that as we walk this life, this journey with you, Father, may we lean into you, hold on to you in all things and always, knowing that you are with us. God with us. Thank you, Father. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.